Welcome to the Laurie Lawrence podcast, Stuff the Silver, We're Going for Gold. This podcast came about by me wanting to value add to my online swim teacher and coaching platform, WorldwideSwimSchool.com. It was simply an idea that I'd read and share chapters of the two books that I'd written about my eight Olympic Games adventures. And when I run out of chapters, I'd interview some of the great sportsmen and sportswomen that I'd encountered over the 50 years of my international coaching career. Tell your friends, if it helps one person expand their lives a little or achieve their dreams, it will have served the purpose. If it doesn't do this, try at least to remember, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. This one is about the great Dawn Fraser, and it's called The Power of the Pin. Some fathers are great storytellers. My dad, Stumpy Lawrence, was a beauty. He'd done a bit of fencing, a bit of bush carpentering, even tried his hand at shearing in a shed 20 miles out of some dry, dusty town before he found his niche. He became a shearer's cook. He drew on real-life experiences to tell me stories of the bush and of droughts. There were yarns of haggard, worked-out bush women on outback cattle stations. Stories of Jock, the Scottish drover, who rode a vicious red-eyed kicker that once broke a man's leg. And stories, too, of dog-tied half-caste station hands who thought nothing of riding 500 miles to have a look at the country. And, of course, my favourite was of the one-eyed drover, Wiki Taylor. Most of all, my dad told stories about Australia's sporting heroes. Dad loved them. He would dwell on tales of the great Don Bradman whose legendary feats with the willow present challenges even now to today's cricketers. Son, he became great by perseverance and practice, he would tell me. Do you know, he used a cricket stump, a golf ball and a water tank. Can you believe it? A cricket stump, a golf ball and a water tank? And then... He'd hit that golf ball against the corrugated side of a tank for hours. Unbelievable. This is why he developed such a great eye. Remember, son, he became great by perseverance and practice. You know, once I, um, once I did a charity talk in Adelaide for a craniofacial charity, and they asked me what I wanted. I said, I'd love a bat, signed by the great Don Bradman. They got it for me, and Bradman put this inscription on it. Laurie Lawrence, the only way to win is to work harder than your opposition. Well, that's the philosophy I tried to adopt with many of my great young swimmers. One of Dad's favourites, though, was the great Walter Lindrum. He was a billiard player. They had to change the rules to beat him, son. He'd practice 12 hours a day. I'd sit there wide-eyed, listening and laughing for hours, demanding more stories until bedtime. And so it was. As a young boy, I became soaked in Aussie sporting history and tradition, respecting and loving all of our great champions, admiring their persistence and dedication. As a snotty-nosed kid, I grew up around the Trebrook Pool in Townsville. 
I crabbed off the pylons on the old salt water pool and played tiggy daily after school in water that was crystal clear. I collected bottles for pocket money from the manicured buffalo grass lawns around the pool. And I slept in the cramped on-site flat above the pool foyer situated between the ladies and gentlemen's dressing sheds. There I witnessed the golden era of Australian swimming and was privileged to rub shoulders with members of the Australian swimming team of the period 1956 right through till 1964. John Henricks, 1956 Olympic gold medalist in Melbourne, 100 metres freestyle champion and the first man to shave all the hair off his body to race, lived with us in that little flat whenever he was in camp with the Australian team. John Henricks was my hero. Once in a lifetime there steps into the sporting arena a genius, a special talent, a sportsman or sportswoman who stands head and shoulders above all others, a sportsperson ahead of his or her time, a champion whose feats become legendary. Such a person became a confidant of my father, and he became her personal masseur whenever she was in Townsville, and I became her greatest fan. This champion of champions broke 39 world records, and along the way won the most medals by an Australian at the Olympics, eight. She won the most gold medals by an Australian at the Olympics, four was the first woman to break 60 seconds for the 100 metres freestyle. She held the 100 metres freestyle record for 15 years. She was undefeated in the 100 metres freestyle from 1956 to 1964 at the 100 metres distance. She won the Olympic 100 metres freestyle championship at three consecutive Olympic Games. And she held the world record for eight years after her forced retirement. She was, of course, the incomparable Dawn Fraser. Dawn helped shape my love of swimming, and I've loved her ever since I was a starry-eyed kid chasing her around the Trebrook pool, hunting autographs. She never refused, even though I asked her every day. I got her to sign scraps of paper, old programs, newspaper clippings, t-shirts, and even my arm. This way, I could Skype to the kids at school. I got Dorney's autograph. Have a look here. Your signature, Dorney, please. Oh, and could you sign this one for Eddie? There you are, mate, was always her cheerful reply as she scribbled away. Nothing was ever too much trouble for that great lady. I even followed her down to Bluey Rally's old pub on the Strand, where after training she would often sit and relax in the unpainted lounge bar, sinking a couple of cold pots and swapping yarns with Bluey. No wonder I cheered when she won the Olympic 100 metres freestyle gold in Melbourne, Rome and Tokyo. An achievement unlikely to ever be repeated. No wonder I was shocked and cried openly when she was suspended by the Australian Swimming Union in 1964 for alleged events at the Tokyo Games, including attempting to swim the Emperor of Japan's moat to souvenir a flag. It was 20 years later that I 
realised a boyhood ambition. I placed five swimmers in the 1984 Australian Olympic team and I was selected as one of Australia's coaches to take the team to Los Angeles. I was on cloud nine. The Olympic Village was on the campus of the University of Southern California. We soon discovered it wasn't exactly the plushest part of Los Angeles and all Australian team members were warned not to leave the village, especially at night. The security was especially strict. Armed, uniformed guards patrolled the rooftops like soldiers on the old Berlin Wall. Their machine guns were in full view. The only difference was that the US version smiled and actually talked if you ever got close enough to them. On our daily training trips to training pools out of the village, we went by bus. Management and swimmers would press their noses against the windows, straining for a better view. It was certainly not upmarket Beverly Hills. Many of the buildings were old, unpainted and run down. Black, Hispanic and white youths walked the streets looking for something to do. The area represented very much a lower end of the socio-economic scale. It was not a place to travel alone, day or night. After one early morning jog with coach John Rogers, I made up my mind to stick to the in-house movies supplied for us in the village. Well, the great Dawn Fraser was in LA for the Olympics as a guest of the press. She was staying in a hotel three kilometres from the village, along with other members of the Australian press contingent. The hotel was five star, built especially for the Olympics, and completely out of touch with the surrounding suburbs with its sleazy streets and dilapidated buildings. Since Dawn was always great value to rev up the kids with a pep talk at team meetings, our head coach, Terry Buck, brought her into the village to share an evening meal with the team and to give a few words of advice and encouragement to our young Olympic hopefuls. Terry figured maybe Dawn would say something that would click with the younger brigade, giving them that little edge they needed against our more fancied and experienced opponents. Just before Dawn began speaking that night, the Italian basketball team, housed one floor above our girls' team dormitory, moved loudly into the Olympic spirit, singing Italian songs and bouncing their basketballs on the ceiling in an impromptu game. Dawn's patience was quickly exhausted. She couldn't speak under these trying circumstances, so she decided to do something about it. She spun on Terry Buck. What's this shit, Terry? She asked Buck. Terry explained the problem. The management have tried Dawn, but no luck, he said. These bloody eye ties just bang their balls on the roof all day and half the night. And if they sing a Revuductoroma one more time, I'll spew. We can't sleep, squealed a couple of the younger girls, who thought the Italian with the curly hair was quite cute. The tall one thinks he's Jose Carrera, giggled another. Look, leave it to me, said Dawn. I swam in Rome. I know a bit of Itai. I swam in Rome. A river ditchy. And with that, she was off, striding from the room, up, two stairs at a time to confront the entire Italian basketball team on her own. 
I looked at Terry Buck. We'd better go and help her, Terry, I said. Ah, Dawny doesn't need help, said Terry. I've seen her in action before. But we'll go along as a backstop. We were ten paces behind and hurrying, but Dawn was already in full flight. You know, there's something about a champion which commands attention. She burst into the room, yelling in fractured Italian, Bambino! Bambino! Her translation of what she said went something like this. No more bouncing. No one can sleep, you pasta-eating bastards. Bounce again, and I'll push this ball up your ring-a-ding-ding. You could have heard a pin drop as Dawn spun on her heel and strode out. The Italians were stunned into silence. They couldn't believe their eyes or ears. With a few well-chosen words, a woman had controlled the whole team. But this, of course, was no ordinary woman. They had run up against one of those rare individuals who believed in action and who lived actively by the slogans, You don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Don't procrastinate. This was a woman who believed all things possible with faith, action and persistence. Dawn Fraser lived and even today lives her life by those principles. Remember, all things possible with faith, action and persistence. When Dawn returned to the meeting, she was greeted with an enthusiastic and spontaneous standing ovation from the young Aussie team. It would have matched any ovation she'd received for her Olympic victories. She beamed and started her chat. Remember, always be in charge when you race, she told them. Do not let anyone intimidate you. She was great. Within five minutes, she had all the kids eating out of her hand. Her frankness and knowledge of the Olympics and the message she preached put them into a fantastic winning frame of mind. Her stories of past Olympians, though embellished only as dawn can, entertained the young Australian team mightily. They could hardly wait to compete. She talked of the fun of competing, the joy of doing your best, the value of domination, the value of confidence and the adrenaline buzz of head-to-head -head competition. She spoke of the importance of self-control and of the exhilaration of victory. It was positive reinforcement at its best. No psychologist could have done better. It was the perfect pre-Olympic talk a real masterstroke by head coach Buck. After a few more stories and a few more laughs, Dawn begged to be excused, but not before she had conned a few kangaroo pins from every member of the team. I requested permission from Terry Buck to escort her back to her fancy hotel, and we headed off into the gloomy night. There was no moon or stars, and the sky was pitch black when she turned the hired Ford station wagon into the narrow alley which led to the dimly lit car park, situated at the back of her hotel. Perfect night for mugging, I joked. The headlights promptly flashed onto a group of youths loitering in the car park. Five of them. A cigarette glowed as one of them drew a deep breath. 
Oh, shit, I gasped, and then remembered Dawn's words from the talk. Always be in charge when you race. Don't let anyone intimidate you. Leave them to me, said Dawn, cool as a cucumber, and she parked the car right where the youths were gathered. By this time, I had just about filled my pants. Hi, guys, said Dawn, as she bounded out and locked the car. Ossies, they exclaimed, and recognising her unmistakable broad accent, Sure, we've come from down under to this great country of yours for the Olympics. No shit, man, said the youth, holding the cigarette. That shit'll kill ya, said Dawn to the smoker, picking up the street lingo in an instance, a relic of her Belmain days. Hey, this chick's cool, said one of them. With that, Dawn seized the opportunity. She marched up and planted a kangaroo pin, conned from our kids, on the shirts of each of these five. Here, have one of our Aussie Olympic kangaroo pins, she said. Thanks, man. No one has ever given us pins before, beamed a black youth sporting long dreadlocks. No problem, said Dorney. We're Aussies. You guys know Waltzing Matilda, don't you? Sing for them, Laurie. <coughs> With this... She gave me an enormous prod in the ribs, and I burst into song. Waltzing Matilda! Well, now I'm something of an amateur entertainer, and I love it. But this was a bit much. I was in fear of my life. Waltzing Matilda! Ah, oh, you're a bit off-key, man, said the youth with a torn shirt, torn jeans, but top-of-the-range Reeboks. You do better, retorted Dawn, to my horror. I now had clear visions of us being mugged. I needn't have worried. He broke into a rendition of Waltzing Matilda that would have made John Williamson proud, and all the others joined in the chorus. Within two minutes, Dawn had these guys eating out of her hand. For the next twenty minutes, she taught them a bit of good old Aussie slang. She made one of them pull his finger out and go and get a dozen stubbies so we could all sink a coldie together. When he came back, we had to sit in a circle and Dawn conducted an Aussie-American sing-along. I nervously recited Banjo Patterson's Man from Ironbark to the cheers of Dawn and her new pals. Finally, we said farewell. Once inside the hotel, I collapsed on the downstairs lounge in nervous exhaustion. Dawn patted me gently on the shoulder. See you in the morning, mate. I'm off to bed. It took me an hour to get control of my adrenaline rush and be relaxed enough to get a cab back to the village. Anything exciting happen, Laurie? yawned Terry Buck as I let myself into the coach's unit. Terry... You wouldn't believe it. It's too long a story, I said. Besides, I need to wash out my undies. I think I've made a mistake. Next morning at Dawn's Hotel, all hell broke loose. Four carloads of heavily armed and uniformed police arrived from the L.A. Police Department. The duty sergeant summoned Dawn to the hotel manager's office. Repeat your story again, please, Miss Fraser. What time did you come in? How long were you in the car park? 
I find it very difficult to understand that of the 38 cars in the car park, yours is the only one that hasn't lost all its wheels. Sergeant, never underestimate the power of an Aussie Olympic pin, she said with a mischievous glint in her eyes. With that, Dawn leant over and pinned a golden kangaroo onto his shirt front. Dawny, you're a legend, and you're still inspiring many of Australian young champions today. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Stuff the Silver. We're going for gold. To stay up to date with all episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. For more information, visit laurielawrence.com.au. It's alive to the fire!